Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Cricket Badger IPL Daily Podcast 2021. The Indian Premier League 14th edition. It's great to have you with us. From the first match all the way to the final. Chennai Super Kings, Delhi Capitals, Kolkata Knight Riders, Mumbai Indians, Punjab Kings, Rajasthan Royals, Royal Challengers, Bangalore, Sunrisers, Hyderabad. May the best team win. Brought to you in association with Who Knows Wins. Put your money where your mates are and play along with the Cricket Badger. Hello everybody, welcome along. It's the first of many editions of the IPL 2021 Daily Podcast. I am James Butler, the Cricket Badger. And if you joined us last year for these IPL Dailies, you'll know that during the competition, I'll be joined by my fan badges representing each of the various eight franchises who will show their passion, their enthusiasm, their knowledge and their commitment to their side as we go through the tournament. In this little interim period before the competition starts, there's going to be various interviews, various previews. Can't promise they're going to be daily up until the start of the competition. But then once we hit the action, it will be every single day until we get to the final. Thank you to whoknowswins.com, who are our headline sponsor for the competition. You'll be hearing their adverts and our discussions on our entries to their IPL competition as we go through these podcasts. So stay tuned and make sure you enter as well. Play along against the Cricket Badger. But in this first edition of the IPL 2021 Daily Podcasts, I'm joined by James Pamant, the Mumbai Indians fielding coach. And in part one of my chat with James, which happened about a couple of weeks ago, actually, we talk about his Yorkshire roots, how cricket took him to New Zealand, coaching in New Zealand and his coaching style, his time coaching the USA team and how far they can go in terms of world cricket, how he started out with Mumbai Indians, built relationships with the players, how he enjoys the family feel with MI, how the boss, Mukesh. Ambani wants to create the players for Team India and the importance of developing the youth through the franchise. A fascinating chat with James. Here's part one of my chat with Mumbai Indians, James Pamant. It's that Badger style. 
Um, well, my first question, James, is, is it James or Jimmy? Because I noticed on your uh, messages to me, you signed them off as Jimmy. So how do you get uh, how do you get addressed? Yeah, I, I don't really mind, James, to be honest. I guess uh, formally it's James, but uh, to most of my close friends and, and some family, it's Jimmy. But uh, my mum would say it's not Jimmy, it's James. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't really mind. I, Obviously, sharing the same name as you, I've been called all sorts as well. The only one I don't <laughs> like is Jamie. I never like being called yeah, Jamie. Yeah, funny, I, I got Jamie quite a bit when I was playing back in Yorkshire in the early 90s when I was playing at a club called Gummersall I all of a sudden became Jamie Hammond uh, I don't know why but uh, I certainly had that for three years when I was playing in, in that Yorkshire league thing. Uh, yeah because you're Yorkshire lad aren't you I mean I'm, I'm sitting in Bradford at the moment talking to you yeah. and uh, you were born and raised only just down the road weren't you? I was yeah yeah born born and raised in Huddersfield uh, yeah the accent you probably belie that a little bit I've got a hybrid accent which most people think I'm Australian which is hard to take, but the Yorkshire accent's sort of gone a little bit and it's now hybrid with the, I guess, with the Kiwi twang. So, yeah, no, I had uh, great memories of, of obviously being raised and uh, and learning the game back in Yorkshire through Lathles Hall Cricket Club and then one or two other environments that I was fortunate to, to take part in in those early years of mine. So have you still got a family here then or do you come back to this part of the world at all or is that, that behind you now? No, no. My uh, my father suddenly passed away in, in 2006 and uh, and very shortly after he passed away, my, my close family, so I've got a brother and a sister who are younger than myself and, and my mum, uh, they all decided to uh, to take the opportunity to move out to New Zealand. So okay. all, all our close family are all now based in New Zealand and, and all in the same area. We live in uh, Upper Mile Beach, which is very close to Mount Monganui, which is a recent test uh, venue. Uh, the, the English came and played a test match there a couple of years ago. So it's, it's a beautiful environment. We're very fortunate and, and all our close family are, are living there. I've got some good friends, obviously, still back in the Huddersfield and the Yorkshire region, but I haven't personally been back there since 2006, when my father passed away. But I was hoping to get back last last summer. My wife and I had quite a trip planned, but uh, obviously COVID COVID scuppered those plans for us. You're not the only one. I think it's scuppered a few people's plans, isn't it, around the world at the moment? Hopefully we get to get, get out of it uh, sometime soon. I was going to suggest if you're going to come back to uh, to Yorkshire, I was going to buy you a pint. But uh, that offer's always there. If you come back this way, I'll, I'll buy you a pint at some stage. Good on you, mind. Yeah, a pint of Tedley's Bitter would be uh, very well. <laughs> um, I mean, going through uh, your kind of CV, really, um, I mean, I, w- I want to talk mostly about the Mumbai Indians today, but you've, you've basically come through, obviously, as a, a professional player. You went to, as I understand it, you went to New Zealand for your cricket, didn't you, initially, um, and played a bit of first-class cricket and, and, and one-day cricket out there. In, in terms of kind of like hitting the, the heady heights as a player, you were very much a, a sort of county equivalent player, weren't you, in, in terms of New Zealand cricket? But obviously as a coach, you've uh, you, you've got a lot higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so, James. Yeah, and, and I guess my first-class opportunity, it was just a short first-class, I guess, career. It was over three three seasons. I played three seasons for Auckland in the New Zealand domestic competition. Achieved some reasonable uh, feats in one-day cricket, but never really cracked first-class cricket. And it was purely because it, it was very much an amateur game. Uh, by the time I, I got to make my first-class debut or playlist day for Auckland, I, uh, I was already married and already had my first child. So... I was struggling to, I guess, put enough concentration into my game to get better 
but I'd got the opportunity through being obviously quite a significant professional with a team called Grafton in the Auckland competition. So my first, I guess, sojourn out to New Zealand was in 88. And I played a couple of seasons of club cricket in Wellington at a place called Nine Iron. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and in the meantime, I was traveling back to Yorkshire to play in the English summer and, and went back to back, I guess, for, for seven or eight years. And, and ultimately through doing really well for Grafton and, and getting married to a New Zealand girl and taking up residency. And uh, it allowed me to play some first class crickets without that opportunity. But, but obviously it was earned through playing good cricket for Grafton that, you know, I probably wouldn't have had a first-class career because while I guess it was my passion and my desire coming through the Yorkshire age grades of, you know, I played for the 15s and I played for the 16s and I played for the 19s, but the door never opened and, and it never looked like it was going to open for me, unfortunately, at Yorkshire, despite, you know, a lot of people feeling that I should have had an opportunity. But, you know, to be honest, I never felt close uh, to getting that opportunity. But, yeah. I've, I've certainly, I guess, made up for that in some respects through, uh, through a coaching career, which you know didn't really happen by design. It was more by not luck because I, I put the work in. You know, as a as a coach, I put the work in, and I was very fortunate with the young men that I was working with through their teenage years. Uh, went on and, and became very good cricketers, and I guess I was identified as as being key in that development of some of those players, and, and they liked my style and yeah. And, uh, and that presented other opportunities for me to step into uh, high-performance roles and then first-class roles and international roles and, and then my role that I'm currently at with, with Mumbai Indians. So, yeah, I guess it was just by, uh, I guess, aligning myself to a, a very promising group of young players and the relationship we built and the success that they had. Who knows wins? Download our app right now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and play against your friends with bragging rights and real money on the line. Who Knows Wins? Put your money where your mates are. Who Knows Wins? In a league of their own. Knowing what you know now, in terms of obviously your, your coaching acumen, if you could go back and coach yourself as a player, do you think you could have got anything more out of yourself as a player or do you think you got as far as you could do in the game? Uh, it's very different times, James. A lot of my coaching values are established through the experiences I had as a player. I was never coached, I guess, knocking on the door of, of Yorkshire County Cricket Club or, or Yorkshire Second Eleven. I never received any coaching. A lot of the information I got during those times of, I guess, trailing to Heading Lake three, four times a week during the winter and, and then playing club and ground games and playing under-19s against second 11 and things like that. A lot, a lot of the information you got in those days were was quite negative. Uh, I never felt I was coached. I had a very good mentor in the under-19 squad, a guy called Bill Roberts, I think it was, Tom. He was a teacher in Sheffield. He was very good with us. He encouraged us and I think it's probably because of his teaching background. But, you know, I, I'd, I certainly recall coming away from my experiences in Yorkshire age group, age group teams across the second 11, being very disheartened with, I guess, the lack of assistance you were getting or information you were getting. It was, it was very negative and it was basically old players who'd stepped into coaching roles. I don't think they were qualified to do it, but they were old players and they probably thought that they knew the game, but uh, it was a school of hard knocks, you know, and, and to be fair, you know, uh, I obviously didn't didn't take to the hard knocks and and harden my game or harden my resolve to the point where you know I could force my way in. But certainly uh, my I guess values around coaching is more around holistic development of 
people first, player second, uh, making sure that, you know, long-term you're looking after their athlete development. It's not about short-term success. It's about building them long-term and, and it's about care and development, really. So, and I think that's where I've, I've spent a little bit of success in my coaching career. Yes, I think I know a little bit about the game and just different aspects of the game, whether it's batting or whether it's fielding. But uh, I think it's more about, you know, the empathy I've shown and, and I guess the assistance and the listening ability that I've had, which assisted me with my coaching career. And I, I sort of look back and think, yeah, that's born out of the fact that, you know, you you weren't really cared for as a player. Uh, and you had some pretty harsh experiences, and, and I remember some of the some of the information that I got during those trips to Heading Lee or those those games that I played that was was extremely negative. Yeah. Well, what, what year was that? Because I worked at the club. Um, I worked at Yorkshire for four years as their media manager from 2007 to the end of 2010. You'd have been before yeah, that. I so guess. That, that was all in the 80s. So I, I, I came through in the 80s. So I, I played in the under-19 team, which won the national championship, I think it was in 87. And I went again with that group in, in 88. You know, and I was obviously scoring a, a large amount of runs in the Huddersfield League. And initially, I think I went four years in a row where I scored over 1,000 runs and then stepped into the Central Yorkshire League and scored 1,500 runs 1700 runs in my last year there in uh, sorry 1993 I scored 2400 runs oh. so you know I was scoring a lot of runs but you know I was always perceived as playing in the wrong league you know I didn't go and play in the Bradford League although I signed for East Bailey uh, my wife uh, pregnant with our first child and I couldn't come back and, and fulfill that commitment but even then I think if I would have been successful there I think my uh, my time had probably gone to, to earn some uh, recognition at uh, Yorkshire County Cricket Club which was always a shame but yeah it wasn't to be I mean I, I guess some people would thrive in that sort of school of hard knocks kind of environment and other people would would not like it at all wouldn't they and I guess what you're saying is you're you're looking at more the nurturing side of understanding the individual everybody's different and treating them that way absolutely yeah and that's why I say it, it's very different these days than perhaps it was and, and obviously I was a reasonable young footballer as well coming through and I experienced you know some professional football environments at youth level as well and it was exactly the same there you know I played in the position of goalkeeper and I can remember making some mistakes Stakes playing in some Northern Intermediate Youth Games. Uh, yeah, and it was pretty harsh, you know. Ex-pros as coaches who just let you know in no certain terms that, you know, you'd let the group down and there was no using your mistakes to get better, which we tend to try and do now. So, yeah, yeah, I didn't thrive in those environments. Well, I, I just wanted to know that, you know, I had some kind of a chance, but also that, you know, I would have loved to have been coached. You know, I would have loved to to seen the faults or see the to help the faults that they saw in my game that they felt were holding me back. Well, you know, give give me some information to help me get better. But uh, you know, I, I never received that until I got over to Auckland and and got working with a guy called John Bracewell who played for New Zealand and was just starting his cricket coaching career. And obviously, he went on to have a very successful coaching career with with Gloucester and with New Zealand. And and I think he went to Ireland as well a little bit. Yeah, John John really worked hard with me and, and, and turned me into a reasonable player and I would have loved to have spent more time working on my game because I knew I had, had more to offer. Elvis Presley once said, we're caught in a trap. We can't get out, but we might be able to soon. Hopefully COVID-19 will be behind us and we can get back on the cricket pitch this summer and you need to make it count. BlackRatCricket.com They have an original range, a rodent range, a little rat range. Bats made by cricketers for cricketers. Make 2021 count. BlackRatCricket.com 
join the infestation. You've had some experience with the USA cricket team. I think it was a temporary uh, appointment there, wasn't it, to help them through a, a couple of competitions there. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of talk about whether cricket can ever really take off properly in, in the States, isn't there? You know, massive country, loads of money there. You know, potentially yep. it could be enormous, couldn't it? What was your experience of that? And how, how likely do you think we'll see the US punching at the top level in our lifetimes? Uh, I, I was really impressed by the group of people that are behind you know, the surge of trying to establish cricket in the US. I think it's been a very fractured environment. It's obviously a massive country, uh, very, very spread apart with no infrastructure or structure in terms of national competition. So you don't really know who's there playing because, you know, the Californians play with themselves and the New Yorkers play with themselves. There's, you know, a hotbed down there in Miami and Florida, and West Indians mainly who play with themselves. So, you know, there's not a lot of cross-pollination. So I went there, yeah, very much on an interim basis uh, with a contact that I had here in Mumbai. They were very ambitious to try and make the 2020 World Cup, which is going to be held in, in India in, in later in this year. And obviously, it should have been held last year. Mm. So that, that was their that was their focus on trying to make that T20 World Cup to try and showcase you know, the USA cricket. But uh, they failed at the first hurdle. They didn't qualify through the Americas. They lost uh, Bermuda and Canada were the ones that came through that group. As soon as that happened, they sort of cleared all the coaching staff out and, and sort of left me to hold the baby for six months and said, could you help us out? And, and I didn't have anything else on. Um, my Mumbai commitments were obviously during the IPL, so I had a period of time where, where I went in and helped them. And I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know the players. There's definitely talented players. And then I obviously got the experience to to go and meet with the guys who were, who were driving uh, what they call in the major league and the minor league around the States. It's a massive undertaking. But like I say, the quality of people that are sitting around the table and trying to make this work, are, you know, they're very well credentialed business people who've had massive success in corporate wildlife. And they're pretty determined. I've had no involvement with them since January of last year when I finished my interim role. They were keen for me to carry on in a permanent basis, but I just felt that they were a long way away from establishing a national team. And their focus was to establish these leagues so that they can get some genuine competition going to uh, try and build that national team up. So I, I felt that, you know, I'm better off sticking what I'm doing and, and let them go about that. And uh, But I, like I say, I was very impressed with these people who were who were trying to establish that. Yeah, and I wish them all the luck because if they get it right, there is a lot of talent there. There's obviously a lot of South Asian people that are now domiciled across the states, whether it be Indian, Pakistani, Afghanistani, Bangladeshi, a massive amount of people who love to play cricket and do play cricket. There's obviously a lot of West Indians as well who are very transient from the Caribbean islands, mainly across onto that eastern side. But uh, there is talent. And if they can get it organised and and get it structured and yeah, who knows in the future and, and I see that people like Corey Anderson who's who's I don't think he's married yet but he's certainly his fiance is from there and Corey's living up there now and and we had Rusty Turon, who played a lot for South Africa back in the day. Rusty's involved in that program as well. And, and they're very aggressive with their recruitment. So there's a number of players that have played first-class cricket in India or South Africa and Australia and New Zealand are, are popping up and, and, and saying that they'd like to be a part of it in the future. Infrastructure, I guess, is, is the key that they need to work hard on, but they're trying. Who knows wins? Put your money where your mates are. 
There's over 25,000 players and over £1 million already won. The biggest community pot was £31,000 and there's over 12,000 leagues created. Download our free app and play against your friends and family with bragging rights and real money on the line. Who knows wins in a different league. I've seen it said that you impressed the Mumbai Indians with uh, your team's fielding display in was it the Champions League in 2014? Yeah, yeah, they, absolutely, yeah. yeah. They, they like yeah, the way your was, team fielded and, and were impressed by your input to that. That's right, James, yeah. No, look, I was I was very fortunate. We came up in 2014 as, as the champions of the New Zealand domestic T20 competition. Uh, we brought mainly a home... Uh, a home-reared group, really. You know, the likes of Kane Williamson, Trent Bolt, Tim Southey, BJ Watlin, Scott Cyrus, uh, Anton Defsich, Ish Saudi, Mick Santner, all players that, you know, have all learned their cricket in our Northern Districts region. And they were the, they were the heart of the group that we brought up here. And uh, and we won the first five games. And one of those games was, was won by Indians. And we did. We, we ran them off the park that night. We... Uh, I think we fielded first, and we and we kept them to maybe one forty something like that. We we took brilliant catches, and we we knocked that off. I think for two very comfortably, and, and Kane and Ian and uh, Anton Defsic, they ran them ragged. So they obviously saw some some basic principles done really well by our group, and uh, and yeah, there was a little word. I mean, I was very fortunate that at the time John Wright was coaching Mumbai Indians. Mm. Uh, John, you know, I'd done some work for John with the New Zealand national team previously as, as his fielding coach. And he'd also, when he was running New Zealand cricket, I'd, I'd worked for him in a high-performance capacity and taken the national under-19 team with him as well. So he knew about me and he knew who I was. And, and I guess he, you know, introduced me to the to the Mumbai Indians people, but I didn't hear anything for four years. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they obviously had John T. Rhodes as their head of fielding. John T. moved on in, after 2017 and, and they were looking for somebody to replace him. And they, they wanted to talk to me and I guess understand some of my principles and I guess how I go about my coaching philosophy. And so I came up and met them. I just signed a new three-year contract with Northern Districts. By then, I'd done five years as their head coach and it was looking like I was going to do eight. And but yeah, they, I guess they they stimulated a little bit of uh, yeah something in me that I thought that this is worth having a go at. So I thoroughly enjoyed being with them for the last four years, and uh, yeah, and my role's grown from just fielding specific now to the point where I'm doing some scouting and, and doing a lot of development work for them, which uh, I thoroughly enjoy. If you're going to follow anybody as a fielding coach, John T. Rhodes is quite a name, isn't he? Because you know you ask most people who the best fielder they've ever seen is. He's going to be right up there, isn't he? Um, yeah, any, yeah. Any, any any trepidation in terms of that? Not not at all, because you know I knew John T. Rhodes as as a fielder, uh, as a player, but I didn't know anything about his coaching. So just because he was a brilliant fielder, and he was, doesn't mean to say he was a brilliant coach. So no, I I, I had my style, and I had my you know, I came and presented to Mumbai Indians my philosophies around especially T20 fielding. And they said to me, well, we've never seen anything like this before. And, and we, you know, we like the strategic nature of it and the, you know, and the way you've presented it to us. And if this was presented to our players, I'm sure they haven't seen anything like this either. So, yeah, no, I didn't have any trepidation at all. Uh, I admired John Tears as a fielder and, and 
I used to love watching him because, you know, I didn't play at his level, but I always wanted to be the best fielder in every team that I played in. And obviously with my skills as a football goalkeeper, I knew how to dive around and throw myself around and I wanted every ball to come to me. So I think that I'd try and impart on, on all the players as well. So, and it was an opportunity that came that, yeah, I've really enjoyed getting my teeth into. We, we talked about your your playing days, and obviously you got to, you're obviously a very good player. You don't play first class cricket unless you're a very good player. But you're not a, an international player. Have you ever had a, a player? You sometimes see in football in the Premier League uh, a kind of lesser known manager comes into a major dressing room and they don't necessarily get the respect from the players because they've not been there, done it, not won World Cups or anything like that. Have you ever had that, or do, has that never been an issue? Uh, it's never been apparent to me, James. But yeah. uh, I guess one of, one of my biggest cornerstones of, of coaching is relationships. You know, I'm, I'm not the type of guy who will go steaming in there and try and throw everything I know at somebody just to try and you know impress them or get them on spider. I like to try and establish relationships with everybody that I work with. Uh, and I think once I've established a relationship with somebody, and an IPL is a real challenging time to do that because players come in, and especially international overseas players, they come in late and generally, you know, the program is active and, and you don't get to spend a lot of time with them because it's a lot about, you know, resource and, and energy management. You know, they don't see, the, I guess, your full hand in terms of what you can do, but you just have to build relationships and, and talk to them and listen to them and work out what they want from you. And then, you know, once those relationships are established, then, you know, I try and start saying, well, I think I can add some value here or, you know, I can go to some statistics and say, well, you know, you're doing this extremely well, but you think you could do this a little bit better. And, and that's how I go about it. I've got some key principles that I work with and, and they are the basics around fielding, you know, because it's the basics that's generally let you down if you're not doing those really well. Not spending too much time diving over the boundary and pulling off outstanding catches. It's, you know, you get a you get in a volume of the catches that generally happen in the game and, and that's how I tend to build those relationships, I guess, with those players who probably have got no idea who I am and no idea of my playing background. But uh, I think I've formed some nice relationships with the guys who have been, the, I guess, the pillars of our team at Mumbai Indians. And I, and I know now that I am highly respected and valued in this environment through the work that I've done. And you talk about the Mumbai Indians. They're my team. When I'm following the IPL, it's the Mumbai Indians I want to see winning. So I've been quite happy the last couple of years, last couple of editions because they've, they've obviously lifted the trophy and the yeah. most successful team in, in the IPL. And by virtue of that, they have got some serious players in that side. I mean, we, we discussed on our, our, our podcast just recently about whether the Mumbai Indians would be India or be England if they took them on in, in, in a T20. Obviously, that's never going to happen because Rohit Sharma can't play for both teams and, and what have you. But they've got to be right up there in terms of the best T20 side in the world at the moment? I think from a franchise perspective, we've certainly in this last period that I've been with them, the consistency has been outstanding. You know, we've had this core group together now and, and usually it's a three-year cycle, but obviously it's going to be a four-year cycle because of COVID and, and the opportunity to go to a big auction wasn't there this time. So we're extremely well led by Mahela from a coaching point of view. The infrastructure of the franchise, I guess, is, has been something that's evolved since IPL started. I mean, Mumbai, I guess, were regarded as one of the big franchises right from the very outset, but didn't have a lot of success. You know, it took them mm. took them a long time to win their first championship. You know, I've got, I've got to admit, James, when when I, I started watching the IPL right from the start, and I don't know if it's something about me, but I always liked the underdog. I liked the guys that I, I 
yeah, obviously some good players in that side, but it was probably because they didn't have that success initially that I latched onto them. And then obviously I've been rewarded mm. since. Someone... Yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the, 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 the franchise is owned by the Ambani family who run the Reliance Industries, which is obviously one of in, India's, if not India's biggest, you know, corporate entity. And uh, they're an extremely successful family business. Uh, and I think they've, over time, brought those principles into the franchise. It's got a very much a family feel. We do call it one family. And, and I've certainly experienced that over the last the last three years. That we've become very close. Yeah, we've we've developed a few young players who are now making their mark on, on the Indian scene. So you think of Bumrah and you think of Hardik and, you know, and these are guys who were, I guess, picked from obscurity. You know, they weren't coming through the general domestic cricket pathways. And then you've got guys like uh, Ishan Kishan and Surya Kumar Yadav who are starting to make their mark now and have you know, these are all guys who have been nurtured, especially by Mahela, over the last two or three years, and they're turning themselves into very good cricketers, and, and they love playing for India. So one of the big, I guess, philosophies behind our franchise is, yes, we want to win the IPL, but we want to produce players who go and play for India. Uh, that's our boss, Mr. Ambani. He's very clear on that. You know, he would much rather see a player go from Mumbai Indians to go and represent India than he would win the tournament. Uh, but his wife and the son who run the franchise, <laughs> they probably argue with him on that point. But, you know, and that, that fits well with me because, you know, development has always been a big area that I've been keen in. And, and obviously, when I was at Northern Districts with my management team, coaching group, we, we developed a lot of players that went on and played for the Black Caps. So, yeah, I really enjoy that philosophy. It's, it is a contradiction really in cricket, isn't it? I mean, the same is true in the, the county scene in, in England. Obviously, having worked at Yorkshire, you know, you nurture these players through the academy at Yorkshire, very successful academy. And you get, I mean, in my time there, Joe Root came through, Johnny Bairstow came through. And for a couple of years, you're thinking, oh, got some cracking county players here now. This is going to be a great team. We're going to win the championship. And then and all of a sudden they disappear for England. So you are you are effectively part of the process of producing the national side. And interesting to hear that uh, Mr. Ambani thinks the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and certainly in in New Zealand where there's only six first class teams. I know from working very closely with with the coaches and the high performance team at New Zealand Cricket that it was equally as important, you know, to develop players to go and play for the Black Caps as it was to win the three domestic tournaments that went mm. on. So you know, if you were developing three, four, five, six black caps you know it was it was seen as almost I guess more credential than uh, if you were winning a T20 tournament or if you're winning a one day tournament uh, really important in New Zealand because of the small number of players that we have but equally in, in county cricket you know and I know that they went to a model where you know they started rewarding counties financially if they were playing more younger players rather than the hmm. old players that were sticking around and uh, and it's vitally important that you keep developing the youth because they are the future and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast then tweet at cricket underscore badger. There's the end of part one of my chat with James. And if you've enjoyed that, it only gets better in part two, where we talk about the Netflix documentary, Cricket Fever, and how he maybe took some eyes off the prize in that MI dressing room. We talk about Mahela Jaya Wardner, Kieran Pollard, Surya Kumar Yadav, Ishan Kishan, Krunal Pandya, Rohit Sharma, Jasprit Bumrah, 
the psychology of fielding his future with Mumbai and the excitement of getting close to the start of another IPL season. So look out for part two on the podcast platform that you're listening to this one on. My thanks again to Who Knows Wins. Download their app and have a look around what they have to offer before the IPL starts. And join me with more James Parent in part two. Brought to you in association with Who Knows Wins, put your money where your mates are, and play along with the Cricket Badger. Thanks for listening. We'll be back every day throughout IPL 14. Have your say on Twitter on at cricket underscore badger. We'll see you again tomorrow. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.